I got a memorable surprise birthday gift from Melanie in the last couple years. She knows I like dry aging our steaks and making it for ourselves, making it for other people. And of course, if you like making and cooking up steaks and whatnot, of course, you know that you need a nice sear all around the outside. Now, to do that, of course, you could uh, grill it on a pan, which is great. You could sear it on the grill, but you could also, we learned after watching a YouTuber, torch it with a flamethrower. Not a little two-inch flamethrower for creme brulee, but an 18-inch flame. Of course, after watching the YouTube video, you know, hey, you think it'd be fun to have, but who buys flamethrowers for their steaks? Apparently, Melanie does for her husband. So what, she, what did she do? She prepared uh, to go and buy that grill gun for me. I was going to bring it, but I thought that might be a little threatening because it actually does look like a gun. Um, but anyways, I had no idea that she had put in this type of thought to buy me this surprise birthday gift. I had no idea of the research that she did in the past and how she find it, found it, as far as I remember, on Kickstarter or something like that, and then got it at a decent price. I had no idea that it couldn't simply be bought at Home Depot, but instead she had to ship it from overseas. And I had no idea that it sat at customs for something like 10 months as they were making sure it wasn't a weapon. And when you open it, the piece of paper says, this is not a weapon. And for about 12 months, she had the discipline to keep it a secret so that I would be surprised on my birthday when my family gave it to me. And I can tell you that for the last couple of years, we have eaten some pretty nice steaks, if I may say so myself, with that grill gun. While it is awesome as it is to receive a gift like that, and I'm sure maybe you guys know, maybe you have received something small or large or even a compliment or a word of encouragement at the right time by someone that you love dearly as they are thinking about how to bless you. Isn't it more awesome and encouraging to think about the giver? To think about, for me, Mel's forethought and her thoughtfulness, her planning and her execution, her determination, and the fact that she wants to take joy in my joy. Yes, eat some good steaks, but to take joy in my joy. It shows me, it displays to me her love and her care for me, even in a simple little thing as a grill gun. Now here's the transition, guys. Isn't it the same with God and His gift of grace in Christ to His people? I know that sounds ridiculous, right? Because we're going from something so light to something really heavy. But the love that I experience, I genuinely know from everything that Melanie did in the past that had led up to me opening that grill gun. Friends, isn't it, and especially so, the same as we think about God and His gift of grace in Christ for you? Christian. In Christ, we see his foreknowledge. We see God's steadfast love, his mercy, his planning, his execution. And forget 10 months. We see all of these things in eternity past to the present and then into eternity future. And we know, friends, that our God is a faithful God who keeps all of his promises. 
This morning we continue our series in the book of First Peter. I invite you to turn there with me now. We are in chapter one, verses one. Uh, sorry, twelve. Chapter one, verses ten to twelve. And this letter was written by the Apostle Peter, and he was writing in the early 60s AD to Christians who were spread across what we now know as various portions of modern-day Turkey. And he was writing to them as they were experiencing persecution for their faith, and he writes them, encouraging them to persevere. Look there with me in chapter 1, verse 6. You see there what they're going through. They are grieved by various trials. In 2.19, you see that they are suffering unjustly for doing good as Christians. In chapter 4, verse 4, we see there that non-Christians were maligning them for not joining with them in sin. And there is Peter encourages them to persevere. Look there at 4.19. Turn there. He says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You see what he does there is he encourages them to persevere. I'm sure you may know for yourself. Isn't it easier to persevere in the good in following Jesus in living for him and obeying all that he commands and even suffering for him when you know who he is and when you know what he has done for you. When you know that he has your back no matter what. This is how the apostles thought. Before encouraging the Christians to persevere and to do, Peter here reminds them of who their Christ is and all that he has won for them in salvation. He says there in chapter 1, though we are sinners, we are born again, in verse 3, to a new life with God by the mercies of God. He says there in verse 3, though we may suffer now here in the sinful world, we have a living hope through our living Savior. Verse 4, we have an eternal salvation waiting for us, an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. He goes on to say there that just as God has set aside this future salvation for you, Christian, surely He will guard you for that day. This is the rock-solid hope that is found in Jesus Christ for you, Christian. The hope that Peter's original readers, that they, what they clung to. Listen to how he encourages them about their faith, hope, and their love there in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 1. Look there. He says, though you do not see him, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. What happens? Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See there, knowing what Christ would do in the future spurs us on to perseverance in the present, in the present, and not just for Peter's original readers. He's talking about us too, all Christians. All Christians have believed on Christ and His work on the cross, His getting up from the dead, and we await His return in the future. All Christians are called to persevere and to wait. And this gives us confidence in terms of seeing what God has done for us in the present seeing what God will do for us in the future. But our passage today, God reminds us, He wants us to have confidence as we persevere. He wants us to know that He has had our back since the beginning. Since the beginning. And friends, He is carving out His path of grace in history through the ages. That is what He has done so that His grace would find you. Talk about forethought and thoughtfulness. Talk about planning and execution. Talk about dedication. Talk about taking joy in our joy in Jesus. 
All of that is evidence of God's great love for us today. And that's what we look at in our verses. And I'm just going to go ahead and read verses 3 to 12. Look at verse 3 of chapter 1. We're going to start there, get the context. We're going to finish up in our passage, which is 10 to 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Here's our passage. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Big idea, Christian. If you need encouragement in this life as you await final salvation, remember God has been for your faith since the beginning. God has been for your faith, our faith, since the beginning. Point number one, if you're taking notes here, I encourage you to write this down. We see first that God sent his prophets for you, Christian. Point number one, God sent his prophets for you. Our passage clearly, let's just think about the thought here. Our class passage clearly continues the thought from what came immediately above. You see there in verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And then in verse 10, as he transitions, it's like he double clicks on this salvation. He wants us all to know something about this salvation that we await and indeed the salvation that we experience. The salvation of your souls. What does he want them to know? What does he want them to know about this salvation that has come? This salvation, final salvation that awaits. He wants them to know that God made sure that his prophets of the past heralded a coming salvation that you now believe. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, he goes back hundreds of years, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. That is those who believe in in Jesus, including us. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. If you're visiting with us today, and you're exploring Christianity, you're getting to know the Bible. These prophets from the Old Testament were messengers of God who spoke on God's behalf, whether simply in addressing God's people, a message that God wanted them to know in the moment. And they certainly not only did that, but they also spoke about what was to come in the future, God's future plans as he unfolds his plan of salvation. You can think of the prophets who wrote in the Old Testament, for example. You have the major prophets, and then you had the minor prophets. The minor prophets weren't less important. Their writings were just shorter, the writings that made it and were collected into Scripture. But we can expand the category, for example, to Moses, a prophet. 
David, a prophet, Samuel and others who spoke on God's behalf all according to his plan and his will. And it was a very serious thing to be a prophet speaking on behalf of God. If someone was to speak on behalf of God, but they didn't have the authority and God never charged them, or if what they said never came true, that's how they know that they were false. Their stuff that they said didn't come true, the prophecies. The punishment was incredibly severe, death even. It was a big thing to be a prophet of God in the Old Testament. And look what God had them prophesy about. What does it say there? The salvation, more specifically, the grace that was to be yours. Not only original hearers who believed on Jesus, but you, Christian, who believe on Jesus. The grace that was to be yours. Another translation says, the grace that was to, down through the ages, come to you, that would be for you. Friends, you see how this Jesus stuff is no human invention nor did it just simply spring out of the first century during the time of Jesus randomly back then. God, it says here, purposed himself to save, and he made sure that his Old Testament prophets prophesied about the grace that you now know, maybe even the grace that you now are exploring. It's fascinating. And it says that the prophets later on in the verse there, look there, verse 12, it says that they were serving not themselves, but you. The prophets back then were serving not themselves, but you. Now, of course, they did serve their their generation, but the things in which they prophesied about, they actually didn't see fulfillment. Fulfillment didn't come until Jesus. That's That's what he means there when he says that they were serving not themselves, but you, meaning us as well. According to God's plans, fulfillment is for us. But back then, they were prophecies of what would come thinking about the way that many people today think about Christianity. You, you know, uh, at least in, in talking to my friends over the years, many people see Christianity as one that's, you know, something that one simply aligns themselves with. Like it's simply a way of thinking or some sort of philosophy that, hey, might have started with this dude named Jesus, maybe not, maybe it started with his followers. But that is completely not true according to the testimony of Scripture. The Bible mentions no such thing. In fact, our verse specifically states something different as we already read. Christ and his salvation was spoken of in the Old Testament by God's Old Testament prophets. We're talking about the 39 books when it comes to Scripture. We're talking about the 39 books written hundreds of years before Christ came. And these are written across various time periods and covers the span of time from the beginning of time all the way up until about 300 years before Jesus came. And then when it comes to the New Testament scriptures, we're looking at 66 books total, Old Testament, New Testament. And then of course the time span goes all the way till the end of the first century. But thinking about the New Testament, various prophets in various time periods in the past spoke by God's will and plan about the grace that you now know. This brings us to point number two. Point number two, God's Old Testament prophets spoke about grace in Jesus Christ specifically. God's Old Testament prophets spoke of God's grace in Jesus Christ specifically. I took a religion class in college. Maybe you did too. And I have to say that when... uh, We're talking about a secular college here. When it came to the teaching on the Bible and then the Old Testament, it was really, frankly, bad. 
The Old Testament was poorly represented and in fact misrepresented as just being some boring record for the people of Israel. It came from the typical history of religions approach that simply saw scripture as the product, the mere creation of man, as we all sort of grasp after God and this group of people creates this one. This group of people over here, they create that one. They come up with this type of scriptures. Scripture as a mere creation of man. It made me wonder, and I had, you know, relatively little knowledge of the Bible back then, but I had enough. But it made me wonder if the teacher had actually read the entire thing and studied the Bible as it represents itself. Scripture testifies about itself as being from God Himself. And what is it about? It's about how God is moving to save sinners in His Messiah, all according to His grace and mercy, ultimately in Jesus. The Old Testament is a record of God moving in history and speaking in history to and through the people of Israel and down through the generations in order to bring about His plan of salvation. We see that. That's what the prophets prophesied about, right? This grace, they were there in verse 11, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted, what did He predict here in the Old Testament? The sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Crucifixion, resurrection, and glory in the ascension. That's the content there that they prophesied about the sufferings of Jesus and the subsequent glories. This is Scripture's view of itself. It's very clear as well that Christ Himself understood the prophets and the entire Old Testament to speak of Him. Turn over to Luke 24. Luke 24, verses 25 to 27. Go ahead and turn there now in your Scripture. As you turn there, I'll give you a bit of a background here. Here, Jesus appears to his disciples. They're still discouraged. They don't know what's going on. They thought that Jesus would bring about earthly deliverance for the kingdom of Israel, but he's dead. Their Messiah, their deliverer is dead. He appears to them and he turns up and he he hides his true being or his true identity from them. Eventually, he reveals himself, but on the road to Emmaus there, he says there in verse 25, he said to them, 25 of chapter 24, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He rebukes them because they don't understand. They don't see it. 26, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then you imagine this little devotional that they have on the road to Emmaus. And look there in verse 27. And beginning with Moses, all the way back to the first five books, of the Old Testament, which starts from, in terms of covering its time, from time beginning. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. Later on, he appears to more more of his disciples there in verse 46. Look there. And he says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Where is it written? Where is it written? You look there in verse 44. Let's go back. Then He said to them, These are My words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about Me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That's a reference to the Hebrew Bible. The law of Moses, the prophets, 
and the writings or the Psalms as a way to refer to all that we have known as the Old Testament. Well, where did they speak? Where did they speak? A a classic example, maybe the most famous example in prophecy is Isaiah 53, read to us by Victor and then reread to us by Kenny. Isaiah 52 and verse uh, chapter 53, I want you to go there. Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53. Guys, and you, you guys know why I'm doing this, right? I'm doing this so that we might know all that God has done in his steadfast love to preserve the prophecies and to bring about his plan for you, Christian. God is the so-called great lover who has been orchestrating everything to bring you to himself. Why would we not care? Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53. You look at that. Look at verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs. You guys realize this is 700 years before Jesus came. 700 years before Jesus came. Surely he has borne our griefs. You get there already that he is standing in our place. And he has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that did what? That brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on, not us, our iniquity, the wrath that we deserved. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's the sufferings of Jesus right there. But then you look there also at the subsequent glories in verse 11, chapter 53, out of the anguish of a soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. That prophecy is directly fulfilled by Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection, his ascension into glory. Friends, that's just one example. The entire Old Testament, whether we are in the law of Moses, the prophets, or the writings, they, all of them point to Jesus Christ. And we could and should even start from the beginning all the way back to Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, many see a promise of the first gospel, the first good news. Genesis chapters 1 and 2, what do we have? We have God creating, right? He is the sovereign creator, the loving creator. He creates you and I even to be in a relationship with him where we know no sin. supposed to be perfect relationship, loving relationship. But man doesn't care. God is gracious father. Our gracious father draws near to us. But what do we do? We tell him to get lost, to buzz off. And so in earning and sinning against God and earning for ourselves just condemnation, right? What happens there? Man is cursed, goes back to the dust. We listen to the serpent and so we sinned. Eventually we're kicked out of the garden and separated from God. And the question is, who will rectify the situation? Who would defeat sin, death, and Satan? The answer is God does. And he promises in Genesis 3.15 that one from the woman's line would rise up to crush the serpent. Man causes the problem. They sin against God, earn for themselves just condemnation in hell, the Bible even says, for this treason. 
But what does God do? In His grace and His mercy, He provides the solution because He loves us. And so from that day, we're all looking, who will be the one from the woman's line? Would it be Cain? No, it wouldn't. And then down through the generations, we know that it wouldn't be a man, a mere sinful man. But yet God continues to carve out His path of grace, and God layers on promise after promise after promise, and He sends prophet after prophet after prophet, letting everyone know that God would do it. On top of that Genesis 3.15 promise, God then says, He promises to Abraham, one from your line would be a blessing to the world. Layering on top of that promise, he says, when it comes to Moses here, as God is gathering a people for himself, he says, a prophet better than Moses would rise up and lead the people, and to him all the people would listen. This prophet would not merely receive the law and then deliver the law. This prophet would give the true meaning of the law. Remember when Jesus says, you had heard it said, but I say to you. Not only that, though, but he fulfills the law because we couldn't. And then on top of that promise, he says from one from King David line would sit on the throne forever and his flesh would not see corruption. Then you can think about the prophets. God's chosen one would come to a lost people. Isaiah chapter 9, to us a child is born. He is the sovereign one as he carries the weight of his shoulders, the government on top of his shoulders. And this servant of God, as we just read, would willingly suffer for the people and bring peace. Jeremiah speaks of when God would do something new one day and he would make a new covenant with his people where he would remember their sins no more. All of this, friends, is fulfilled in Jesus. All of it. He is the one to defeat sin, death, and Satan. He is, according to the book of Galatians, the seed of promise from Abraham. And all who believe on Him would be children of Abraham. He is the prophet who spoke the true meaning of the law and who fulfills the law because we couldn't. He is the fulfillment of the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, whose rule and reign is a foundation of righteousness as He is the righteous one. And He is the one who in breaking His body and spilling His blood signs the new covenant with His blood. And so, friends, if you're investigating Christianity, we see this is not just something random. This is something in the mind of God before time eternal. His Old Testament prophets heralded these things, and they are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. And this freedom from sin, this forgiveness from sin, freedom from shame, God taking care of all of your sins, and most importantly, you being reconciled to your Creator can be had if you turn from your sin and believe on Him. God promises that you will be saved. That's what the apostles heralded, that now is the day of salvation. Turn from your sins and believe and you will be saved. Where once God's face was towards us, because we had committed treason against him, it was towards us in judgment. All of a sudden, in Jesus, for those who believe, his face is towards us in joy as we know him as Father. But here's the deal, okay? We need, we need to continue on here. Here's the deal. It's not just that the Old Testament speaks of Jesus. It's not just that the Old Testament speaks of Jesus. But, point number three, Jesus himself speaks through the Old Testament. 
Jesus himself speaks through the Old Testament. These prophecies were not merely about Christ, but they were given by Christ. Did you notice that there? These prophecies were by Christ, the Spirit of Christ. That's what it says in verse 11. The Spirit of Christ is another name for the Holy Spirit, also called the Spirit of God. Of course, we know there that the persons of the Trinity are working in unison. But here Peter says that the Spirit of Christ was moving the prophets along to prophesy about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Again, this means that the prophets did not speak randomly as if they so happened to say a certain something or they're giving it their best shot, but they spoke with purpose according to the will and plan of God as we saw earlier. That's exactly what we see Peter saying in 2 Peter 1.21. It says there that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, not by the will, not by the mind, but men spoke from God as they were, carried along by the Holy Spirit. Christians, so what we have in the Old Testament prophets, in the Old Testament in general, is God pulling back the curtain to show His divine workings of love, directing history, as we've been thinking about God's sovereign providence in the book of Ruth, for example, as He carves out His path through the ages, sending His prophets to herald the message about Christ for you and all who would ever turn and believe on Him. So friends, if you want to grow in your relationship with God and your appreciation of His love for you, don't just study the New Testament. Study the Old Testament as well. To better understand God's fulfillment, certainly we should know about God's promises as we get to see all that God had done in His faithfulness, steadfast love and mercy to lead us to where we are now. These words have been fulfilled. We understand right in regular life how this is important. This is exciting in regular life. Take, for example, you know, I've been learning more and more about uh, this particular church, and I have certainly enjoyed it. And I want to know more about Evergreen St. Gabriel Valley because I am now a beneficiary of all that has come before, right? We all are beneficiaries of everything that has come before. This church was started as Nisei Baptist Church back in 1925. How cool is that? We're coming up on a hundred years. I hope somebody's planning a hundredth anniversary. But don't you want to know who had the idea back then to reach out to the Japanese Americans living in Los Angeles? Who had that idea? Because praise God, that person had that idea. Not only that though, but the, the denomination and the group of people who said, we are actually going to put resources and energy towards starting this mission. They too ought to be commended. Praise God for them. What was going on in their lives at that particular time and in their heart as they understood the gospel and grew in their love for people such that they diverted their energies toward these things? Then you think about the early generation there in East Bay Baptist Church, 1925. Who were all of those people? And might some of their descendants be among us now? How cool would that be? Of course, we don't, we don't want to investigate these things or I don't want to cultivate an interest in these things merely to say, oh, it was so cool. It's so fun just to know, you know, facts about this church. I want to know it because I am a beneficiary of God's grace as he has held this church in his hand for almost a hundred years. And I slide in here in 2021. I'm here. And then eventually when I die or something like that, when we all, we, eventually we will be gone. But I want to know about the people who have come in the past, the people that are here presently as they minister out of the strength of Christ for the glory of Jesus Christ. 
for one another. Sure, we don't do this perfectly, as you, I'm sure, know. I myself know about this about myself. But yet we know and we can see God's grace for us. From the start, pre-1925, and then when the church was constituted, from what I understand, in 1925, we get to know about their labors and their love and what they saw and what they wanted for future generations. And then we see now, the, we see their intentions realized for us today. And maybe we'll see, our grandchildren will see their intentions realized for them in the future. Friends, you see, same goes with God. In the Old Testament, you come to see what God is about. We come to see about His heart. We see what God did. You learn about man's intentions towards sin against God, but we also see God's grace and His purposes in redemption. We come to see God's track record of His steadfast love and faithfulness in pursuing sinners, wanting all to repent of their sins and believe, wanting all to repent and to know Him as their Creator again. And even and especially when following Jesus is difficult, because that's what was going on for these Christians, especially when following Jesus is difficult because of trials from without or temptations from within, we can come back to see the character of God and see again all of His promises He fulfills. Since I've been at this church, it's very clear that there is an intention that we not neglect the Old Testament. Thank the Lord. You can think about the various teaching opportunities that are going on. Think about the ACE classes. we got Keith Fukuyama teaching on the survey of the Old Testament part one. Wouldn't that be an awesome thing to go to? If you want to grow in your relationship with God, hey, my class is good too. Sign up for that class too. But if you need to grow in your knowledge of who God is and what He had done throughout the ages for you, go to that class. I, don't, I really don't care if you come to my class or not. If you, t- if you choose to go to that class, great. I'll be happy for you. I pray that you would learn. You can think about the children's ministry as well. Think about the children's ministry. We got Victor teaching through the Gospel Project curriculum to the children. And the curriculum is solid, both in its teaching about the Old Testament, but also in this teaching about how the Old Testament points to Jesus. We want to know the Old Testament as Christians. If we never talked about Jesus, what are you doing? At best, you're, you're learning about it as a Jew would, who rejects Jesus. We want to teach the Old Testament as Christians, because we follow Jesus, who says, all that is in there is about me. Let me encourage you to take advantage of those opportunities. Apparently, Victor's teaching the moms too on Friday mornings. Think about going to that. You can talk, contact Victor, flood his emails. I encourage you to do this. Even give him a call. In these opportunities, we get the, the, the great opportunity to stick our faces in the Bible and to see what God has done for us throughout the ages we look there and we say, what? Look at that steadfast love. Look at the plan. Look at the execution. Look at the determination. Look at His joy in our joy in Jesus. This brings us to our last point, as we've said and made clear. Point number four, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Did you see that in all of the grand sweeping history? Appointing the prophets, the Spirit of Christ carrying along the prophets to speak, the content that is Christ, all of it has now been announced in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
All of it has been announced now in the gospel of Jesus Christ to the hearers of the gospel. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you. Isn't that interesting that the physical fulfillment is Christ, right? But it's also in the physical preaching of His truth. It's super fascinating, right? That means God, we know this from Scripture, that God's intended instrument to bring us to life is His Word about His Christ. And so while Christ is the fulfillment, friends, when we preach, we preach the fulfillment. We preach Christ. That's why it's so important to get these truths right and these truths accurate because it is a real Jesus who really died on the cross for sins, bearing the wrath that we deserve if you're a Christian, who got up from the dead, really, showing all that death no longer reigns. And it is a real Jesus who will return what the prophets prophesied of the church of Jesus Christ announces specifically in the gospel. Peter's readers understood as people preached the truth of Jesus to them, they had the former, the former things hidden, right? They're preaching the former things, but then we preach things that have been fulfilled. And so preachers announce these things to them in the gospel. The time has come, the day of salvation in Jesus here, turn from your sins and believe. That's what they preach. And friends, that's what every church should preach. And the same has happened to you, Christian. Isn't that fascinating that from time, from, from time eternity, God had Jesus Christ, His sufferings and His glories prepared for you, prophesied for you, fulfilled for you, preached for you. Who is it that preached the gospel to you? Who is it that brought fulfillment to your ears? that you too, friend, can be forgiven of your sin. Let me encourage you to reach out to that person and thank them for introducing you to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises. And isn't it fascinating that as the Spirit inspired the prophets to speak and prophesy of a Jesus who would come, after Jesus arrived, He then charges His church to speak in that same Spirit about Christ who came. And so all of it, you can see, is God's doing, God's working. It it was preached to them by the Spirit sent from heaven. And He even adds there things into which angels long to look. Things into which angels long to look. The angels don't even know God's total plan of redemption. And so when God reveals it and sends Jesus, what are they doing? In real time, the heavens are bursting up the angels in all of the glory are saying glory to the God to God on high. Christ is born. They're looking in as God's unfolding plan of salvation gets unraveled right before our eyes. And friends, you realize that that is happening now. As a sinner repents of their sins, the angels rejoice in heaven because God is accomplishing His plan. To conclude, Christian, do you see God's steadfast love for you? God had a plan to save. God set apart His prophets. The Spirit of Jesus was moving the prophets to foretell and write about salvation in Jesus. 
Jesus Christ then comes to the fulfillment of those prophecies as he dies on the cross for the salvation of all and everyone who would repent of their sins and believe. He also gets up from the dead, showing all that death no longer has victory, mastery over us. Jesus then sends out his spirit at Pentecost to empower his church, of which we are one of them, to herald his good news in the gospel. All of it is of God. And so for you, Christian, he is for your faith as he is the author of it all. And as we fight to the very end, know that just as God fulfilled the promises of the gospel in Jesus Christ, surely he will preserve you in his gospel until the end. And may the faith, hope, and love that marked Peter's original readers mark us as well. Look there, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 again. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we do thank you for your steadfast love that never gives up and never fails. Lord, we ask that where we have neglected these things in the Old Testament, as it is clear evidence that you fulfill all of your promises, Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for these things. We know even in our own lives as we interact with other people, we dare not neglect what others have done for us. So, Lord, we pray that you, by your Spirit, would cause us to be excited and also to be intentional about investigating all that you have done for us in the past, all by your sovereign mercies. Lord, we do thank you that you are our sovereign God, and not even our own sin will stop you from bringing your forgiveness to your people. And we see this time and time and time again as you pursue us over and over and over again that despite our sin, yet you are right there working out your plan, working out your promises and fulfilling them in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. God, we pray that this knowledge that we have, the knowledge that is here in the Old Testament and in the Bible, we pray, God, that it would indeed help us to persevere as we look back and see your character and how you have worked for us all throughout time past, how you are working for us right here in the present. And Lord, we pray that that would spur us on for perseverance as we await Christ's return. Lord, we pray that even now as we turn to the Lord's Supper, that we would have this remembrance on the forefront of our minds and on our mouths as we preach the gospel, that it is through your body and blood that you accomplish salvation. And just as you, God, gave us your Son, certainly you will give us all things and preserve us until the end. These things we pray for your name and for your glory. Amen.